0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 37. This week, Carl and I talk about how to not hate JavaScript, keep your cloud keys out of GitHub, and I explain a shortcut to asteroid mining. Happy New Year, Carl. How's it going? Pretty good. Happy New Year's to you, too. Well, thank you. So, yeah, we're recording this on New Year's, but we're going to publish, what does that end up being, tomorrow. So, for you, it's today, and today is yesterday for you you following along carl it's clear as clear as mud for me (laughs) okay that sounds good okay so let's jump into so actually well first of all we have a very special guest which is you carl and you jason okay awesome so yeah we uh we just thought we we've actually been saving up some questions and some ideas and we'll do them in this episode we thought it was a good time and uh yeah, so let's just jump into the the feedback. So one thing I noticed, I always search uh, on Twitter on a pretty regular basis for anybody who's you know talking about the MS Dev Show, and quite a bit of uh, stuff comes up, you know, about the various episodes. And one that I've seen, and I, I know that you've talked about in the past, is this uh, Coding Cast. So their Twitter handle is Coding Casts, and uh, they had a tweet out there recently where they were talking about the uh, our discussion about uh, password security with Josh Holmes the the last episode. So um, I just wanted to uh, give them a shout out and thank you for listening. And then you said, um, I think they uh, they're affiliated with that player Yes. So, OK,
1: it, uh, it's kind of like a sub Twitter account for the player FM for their coding categories of which okay. uh, we're uh, highlighted a little bit on the software development section.
0: Okay, yeah, so we uh, we definitely appreciate that and we appreciate any tweets that they put out there. Uh, if you want to get mentioned on the show, make sure you send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com or you can comment on Facebook, uh, which is facebook.com/ msdev show or on iTunes, leave us a review or leave us a review on Stitcher. And we especially love those iTunes reviews. Uh, those really help uh, spread the word of the show and help us uh, just spread the reach. So thank you very much. And uh, let's jump into the news. So this first one, I don't know if you looked at this, but this one I thought was very, very fascinating. Did you see this one? Yes, I did. Yeah, this was cool. So this guy, I'll give you the real, real short version. Basically, he uh, published something to GitHub and it ended up having his uh, S3 key. So his key for Amazon uh, for his storage account, which apparently, you know, I don't I don't know the exact hierarchy of the of the keys on uh, uh, AWS. But apparently you can create virtual machines with that key. So it was only up there for, let's call it, you know, 60 seconds or so. Um, I don't know what the exact time he said was, but it was a very short time. So he thought he was pretty safe. So he he just took it down, uh, basically removed that commit. And he thought he was pretty safe. He didn't go out and regenerate the keys. Wakes up the next day and uh, takes a look. And uh, basically he had accumulated twenty three hundred and seventy five dollars in charges overnight. So what had happened was there is a, a little, somebody wrote a crawler that goes over GitHub and looks for these keys. And whenever it sees one, it grabs it, sets up uh Bitcoin mining, and then uh, just racks up charges in the other person's account. So the, uh, I think the lesson here is to, uh, you know, don't do that. And if this happens to you, revoke the keys. Yeah.
1: Um, that, that was actually something that you had kind of uh, brought to my awareness. We had, uh, we're working on a, a, a joint project where, uh, People kept accidentally checking in uh, what were supposed to be offline versions, but uh, we're checking in or offline files, but we're checking in these files that had uh, some Azure keys on there. And you were getting frustrated every
0: time because you would have to revoke them and regenerate new ones. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And admittedly, that was my fault because I I had it set up. I, I was basically setting everybody up for failure by putting all this important configuration of these files that that were actually checked into source control and so they would, they would put in the keys and then it would show up as a file that changed. So if they didn't pay very close attention, uh, they would accidentally check it in. So, so my solution to that, uh, it actually it came, uh, it was Brandon Martinez that suggested this to me, basically the, the configs that, uh, that come with the, the, you know, those types of projects, we, we use JSON to store the configuration details. They're basically, uh. Um, Not checked in at all. In fact, in the Git ignore, we just ignore those files, so you can't accidentally check them in. And then the sort of the default template file that that you would fill in all the settings in, we renamed it uh, instead of config.json. It's config.json sample. That way, you can just rename that thing back over to config.json and then fill in your config details. And then you don't have to worry about accidentally checking it in. So, uh, you know, that's that's one thing that I've learned is sort of set yourself up for success here with the configuration files from the start. First of all, make sure all those configuration settings are in their own file and then make it so that if you make a mistake, uh, it will sort of err on the side of not getting checked in. And if they do get checked in, revoke those keys immediately. And these services, I know uh, Azure make this, makes this really easy. I'm sure AWS does as well. You just go to the dashboard, you say revoke keys, and then you can put new ones in. The only time it's a big hassle is if you're using those keys in production for multiple things. So I thought that was a good lesson. And uh, what do we have next year? How to not hate JavaScript. Th- that's this a pretty one... big order.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Step one: don't use it. No, just kidding. Um, this I actually learned a couple of things in here. This was pretty good. So yeah,
1: me too. I was actually really surprised. Like right out the gate, like the first thing is I wasn't aware of the debugger statement at all.
0: Yeah, and and, and I I think I uh, some of these I think I've seen before. But for whatever reason, I just, they just don't stick in my head. Like, I have to use it a few times. So I'm, I have bookmarked this post, and I'm going to start using these a few times so that it, they pop into my head next time I need to use them. Uh, but yeah, you can put a, a statement called debugger into your code. And I'm assuming it looks like you could also put that into an if statement. So basically, if you get with into a certain condition or you get into a certain part of your code, you can have it automatically put in that breakpoint for you instead of having to go in your browser and do it. So, you know, it's not like life changing. Uh, cause you could always put that breakpoint in the, you know, in the editor and, uh, and, and debug it from there, but, uh, still a neat trick nonetheless. And then, uh, the next one in here was using the console. So, you know, a lot of people do console.log, but there's also console.warn, console.error, and console.info, which are very useful. So they're a little bit different levels. Um, this one here, uh, console.table which was pretty cool, which ends up spitting out the the results into a really nice table format, at least in Chrome. I don't, I'm not sure if this one works in IE. I think some of these might be Chrome specific, and I know IE has some too. There's, they're not, you know, these aren't really completely standardized. Not, not that they need to be, but um, I, I know they are a little inconsistent between uh, browsers. Um, another one here for getting the call trace. What is this one here? Console.trace. Let's see what else is in here um all oh, objects.observe which i think is a new i think that's uh yeah that's that's part of the ECM, the new ecma script uh standard that they're working on so being able to you can set this up to uh observe an object basically and you you know i i remember we talked about this a few episodes ago and how frameworks like angular js were going to start using um object.observe but this is uh this is pretty cool because i didn't even think about using it just in the you know in the console within my browser to tell uh when something changed um let's see what else is in here carl <laughs> just kind of looking through um it looks like there's a couple other tips in here too um so i recommend reading that we'll have a link to that in the show notes okay so what is this next one carl i didn't really look at this imagine every computer that ever existed in your browser
1: all right now i i know you're familiar with the main project right
0: jason Yep, it, it, I've I've wanted to build one for years and I just haven't gotten around to it.
1: So the main project for those of you who don't know is a way to get every video game ever made, you know, just you arcade know game. arcade game in an emulator mm-hmm. that can that can run on your computer. That had a sister project called the Mess Project. And <laughs> and that one that the goal of that one is to emulate all the classic computers. So all the systems, you know, going way back. Okay. And According to Atwood's law, if it can be done in JavaScript, it will. There's the JS mess project. And that's what this is This is based off of, is they're trying to create all those emulators for all the old computers in JavaScript so you can run it in your browser. <laughs> and they have a ton of them that are working. They've got a, a bunch of examples. So uh, we'll have links in there. So if you're interested, you can check it out. But I, I just think it's really cool You know, getting some of those old games, uh, like Commander Keen and stuff like that, that... You might not have DOS laying around anymore, but hey, you can, uh, I'm I'm not sure if that's one that works in the mess project or not, but you know, between these, you can, you can re- relive some of those old programs
0: and uh, games that you remember. Pretty cool. Yeah. Like you said, some of these run on uh, JavaScript, which is really cool. That, that The nice thing about JavaScript is it just runs in your browser, right? So mm-hmm. it's really neat being able to adapt these, these old things. One game that I really miss that was actually not for the PC, it was for the Mac was, um, Strategic Conquest. I really miss that game.
1: Uh, uh, it says that for JSMS, they've got like Mac 2, Mac Classic,
0: uh, yeah, a bunch of others, Mac Plus. Yeah, so. this would have been uh, System 5. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a bygone era for sure. This is pretty cool. Yeah, Mame stands for Multiple Arcade Machine Emulator. Um, I've wanted to set this up. And for anybody who's not aware of that project, it's really, really cool. Because what you end up doing is building an arcade cabinet. You put in a, a TV into there um, or a computer screen. I, mean, I guess they're pretty much the same thing at this point. And uh, you hook up a computer and you can even wire up all the arcade buttons and you can play. I think it's literally like 5,000 different arcade games. The tr- the, uh, the challenge there is that the games, you actually can't legally acquire them without buying the arcade cabinets themselves. So for example, if you want to play Pac-Man, you have to buy the arcade cabinet Pac-Man. At least that's my understanding. Um, so there's that little issue. So you'd, be, you'd end up Basically, downloading five thousand arcade cabinets uh, illegally to use it, <laughs> but this is pretty cool. Okay, uh, what do we got here? Why is the next big thing always ancient history? Did you read through this one? Yeah, it, it, to me, this seemed to, at least what I pulled out of it is you know
1: kind of how you always hear that it took twenty years to be an overnight success, mm-hmm. and uh, the next big thing you know you know was really developed quite a few years ago. So I think in this case right. they're really concentrating on IoT
0: and yep. and how it had its roots back in the seventies. Definitely. In fact, I had a I had a blog post about this. I even talked about it on the show. Um, so this really hit home with me because I my thinking about IoT is that there's you know it, it, technology wise there's there's nothing new or super revolutionary there. I think that we we could do all the same stuff. Um, it's really. So we, we really could do all of the, all of the same stuff we could do back then. In fact, I had some, uh, home automation, uh, a home automation system that was, uh, as of this year now, 2015, uh, that home automation system is 30 years old, which is just amazing. And it controlled the sprinkler systems. It was like an alarm system, motion detection, you know, occupancy, like all that kind of stuff. It was just, uh, it was just amazing. But, um. You know the 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 value that I see in something like IoT is really putting that label on it and lowering the cost. And he he talks about a lot of those things. He was talking about how in uh, 1991 we there was a basically an IoT coffee pot, and uh, I, I thought that was that was interesting because everybody talks about those types of devices. In fact, there's I just saw a video from last year, <laughs> 2014. This is really weird. Um, I saw a video that was talking about um, you know adding. Um, you know, basically putting a, a coffee pot on the internet. Okay, Well, you're a little late to the game that was done in 1991. But what's different now is uh, you know, a lot of people trying to come up with standards and um, you know the the co- the dropping cost of these things is putting it into pretty much everybody's hands. So it's a pretty lengthy article, but he's got a lot of good stuff in here and he talks about some of the um, things that sort of gate these these technologies and then allow them to become popular. Anything else you want to say about that one? No. Okay. Uh, Let's see here. Microservices, not a free lunch. So this was, uh, I thought this one was interesting. So I think that the title was probably a little link baity. It was, I I was, when I first saw it, I'm like, oh, okay. He's Mr. Anti-microservices. But if you actually read through this, he's actually pro microservices. So this, this concept of building your application as, you know, dozens of individual services that all sort of work together and and do, you know, communicate amongst themselves. And uh so reading this though, he's he's just talking about some of the challenges I think that that he's run into specifically. Some of the things that you get to look out for whenever you do this. So he goes through and I won't go through all the details here, but the um, operations overhead, um let's see here, um, duplication of effort. So, you know, each of these services there's a lot of duplicate um Um, functionality in them, Uh, the complexity of just having distributed systems, Um, how do you do things that are asynchronous, Uh, how do you test things, Uh, you know, just challenges like that. So I I thought it was was interesting from that standpoint because I, you know, you and I had worked on a project where we were sort of going down this route where we had a whole bunch of really small services. And these are the kinds of things that once you get past, you know, a couple services, you start to realize that they're, you know, these challenges here. And I think it's still completely worth it. And I think the article talks about that too. Hey, this is, this is still the way to go. Just, you know, here are some things to watch out for.
1: Well, another thing is, you know, like there's a saying, anything worth doing is worth doing right. And microservices, you know, he's reiterating, this is the right way to do it. But when you take the time to do something right, there's an inherent cost right and he's just saying these are the costs that when you're going to do it these are what you're going to see you're you're going to see those extra operations overhead you're going to have to learn these devops skills you're going to have to you know deal with these interfaces like this and these are common things that you'll see time and time again if you're prepared for them that cost isn't going to be so high
0: Mm -hmm. cool okay next one so this one it looks like our link is broken is it building a dungeon? Yep. No problem. Yeah. I
1: busted that link. Um. <laughs> I searched for it. I'm not finding it. I'm sure it was super interesting though. Carl. Well, it had, I actually changed that title completely. So I, um, that's what happened there. But oh, also anyway. you can't even search for it. <laughs> uh So you're going to be able to find that link afterward? Yeah, I'll find it afterwards and put it in. Okay. Well, the, the cool thing about this, though, is I really like it when you can pull things back to what you learned in, in, in university or college, the basic core computer science things. And he was showing, you know, he wanted to write a pro, he was writing a program that was auto generating a dungeon for, you know, a game. So mm-hmm. you have rooms, you have various paths that connect those rooms. He wanted to... Generate it so it's new every time, but he also wanted some of that complexity to it. Like, there's, you know, there might be more than one path through the thing. There might be, you know, you know, less optimal paths. Like, how do you generate that kind of stuff? And he just kind of layered on a few just simple approaches that you learn in school uh, to uh, do this. And it's got some really cool videos in there too, so you can visualize all of this happening. But he lays a bunch of rectangles out so they don't overlap and then use then whatever's not taken up by a rectangle for a room he just does either a breadth first or a depth first you know maze generator Mm -hmm. and he fills in all the rest of the space so and you're like well that's not quite a dungeon because a dungeon isn't tightly packed with tunnels and what right. he does, and, and this is kind of the clever part, is he detects whatever's a dead end, what's not going anywhere, and he just removes those. So you can see it, like, unwind those tunnels. And then okay. and then lastly, he kind of smartly figures out, you know, how many doors should I place? Because, you know, sometimes you're going to have multiple doors to a room, sometimes not. And, and it's really cool seeing him just stack those few simple things together and, uh, you know,
0: have it so he can auto-generate these uh, dungeons for his game. Well, that's pretty cool. So kind of an elegant uh, procedure for generating these things that's worth looking at. Yep.
1: Cool. So like I said, you know, it's not that everybody should out- go out there and write dungeon-generating uh, tools. But I wish. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of times it's understanding those core concepts from school still come back to you and improve what you're doing time and time again. So yep.
0: remember the basics. Okay, cool. And then this next one here, Visual Studio Auto Updater. Does this mean I finally won't get that annoying thing that says, please update?
1: Oh, this is an awesome extension. Uh, It looks like right now, at least the link that I have is for Visual Studio 2013 only. Mm -hmm. But uh, you launch it, it'll detect uh, that things in the background need to be updated and it'll update them. And then next time it'll silently update them. And then next time you open
0: Visual Studio, you'll just have the latest version. Oh, this is so nice. So, I see this is by our buddy Mads Christensen. So, is this something that's going to get built into Visual Studio possibly? Um, very possibly. A lot of things that he works on. Yeah, since he's on that team. Cuz this is just a good idea. Like, uh, you know, as a as a user, even though I'm a developer, just don't bug me with this.
1: Yeah. I mean, even if it's something that you have to go in and check a box, I'll go in and check that box and then mm-hmm. not worry about it anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, because I, I do run the updates, I guess the only time you wouldn't want this to happen is if you're right before a product release or something like that. But I mean, it's your it's Visual Studio. So, uh, you know, it can't really get you in that big of a bind unless it's actually changing how it writes, you know, how it stubs in code or if it's going to, like, delete your code. But um, I don't know. It's not that scary to me. So this seems uh, this seems like a no brainer to to install this and turn it on. Will it auto update itself?
1: <laughs> I I would hope so.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What it really takes to be a professional programmer. Yeah. I, I really like this article
1: because, you know, a lot of times we like to fit ourselves in boxes. You know, the if you're, you know, a developer, that means you like Battlestar Galactica and that you're- I do. And you have a little bit of ADD and, you know, obsession with compulsive disorder and all these things. And, and to a point, there's a lot of commonalities, like when you're in a profession that, you know, make you a little bit more successful. But this kind of, you know, tears it apart in saying- You know what? There's a lot of ways. You don't have to be, you know, type a person in order to do this, um, to have this, you know, passion for the field and to be successful. Uh, The only thing that seemed to me that was like the number one kind of, you know, thing that if you you don't need it, but really makes you good is being a strong communicator. If you're able to get your point across, um, that's one thing that in our field is really essential. You're going to be working on teams. You're going to have clients. If if you can't communicate well, you know that's that's going to hold you back. But a lot of these other things too. I mean, other than just you know being in or out of a box, you know, it's like uh, having strong problem solving skills. You know, stuff like that. So um, yeah, you know, to me this was a reminder, you know, that we're not all the same, but. There are still some really good things that, you know, if you take the time to brush up on
0: that uh, will will really help you out no matter which way you take your career. Yeah, I think uh, anybody who's passionate about this is going to be successful. I mean, I, I really think that's the case. And, um, you know, one thing that's that's interesting, it was a, a boss that that you and I had a while back where I just got a kick out of this because he really didn't understand a lot of the the technical portions of this. Uh, you know, of programming and software development. And sometimes he would say kind of the, you know, to us, it sounded really, really stupid. And every once in a while, um, you know, he would say something where we're just like, oh man, you just don't get it. And then we'd sit there for a second, like, wait a second. No, that will work. We can do it this way. (laughs) Like that actually makes sense, you know? So um, that's why I I think anybody who's really passionate about doing this brings something to the table. Even if, you know, I think, um, I, I think this article does a good job, but At the same time, yeah, I think I think you can find people that are that probably seem a little bit a little bit crazy to us, but they're still useful, at least to to a team, maybe maybe not uh, writing stuff on their own, especially, you know, if they're missing like basic troubleshooting and things like that. But as part of a team, uh, their skills might really complement the rest of the team. Okay, next one here. Microsoft hones its plans to try to close the app gap. Yeah. So, explain this one.
1: So, I know as a whole, uh, me and Jason don't really like to get up on a lot of rumors. But um, mm-hmm. last August, it was a rumor going around that Microsoft was seriously considering allowing Android applications to run on Windows and Windows Phone in an effort to, you know, fix the app gap or what's perceived as, you know, not having all the latest and greatest apps of every type. And uh, just a, a week or two ago. That got reopened, saying Microsoft is still considering this, and uh, not that that so much is newsworthy. Well, it is interesting. Um, there was a, a response from a Microsoft MVP that I just saw kind of really brought an opinion that I could agree with on this. Um, basically, says Microsoft should not do this. Let's let's look to the past. What what other you know platforms out there that took this approach? What happened to them? OS 2 tried running Windows apps. Where's OS 2? They're gone. BlackBerry uh, <laughs> ran Android apps. Well, where's BlackBerry now? I mean, they're in the tank. They're still around, yeah. but um, you know. So he he said, "Well, I, I'm not just going to say what not to do, but I'm going to try to come up with something too." Uh, last mm-hmm. spring, uh, Microsoft announced the Universal Apps, and you know, it's called Universal, but currently it's just you know, win, big Windows. You know, Windows 8. And Windows Phone. But he says, let's take the universal platform to Android, not the other way around. You know, right. Xamarin already does that, but let Microsoft itself do that. I mean, he, he goes on saying WinJS is open source. You can run on Chrome, it can run on WebKit. Um, uh, Xamarin itself runs a fake xaml like thing, which is kind of a pain to use if you're used to XAML. let's actually bring XAML to Android let's do that let's yeah and and I really like this approach
0: yeah I do too um so so that was b- before the show when I when I first read that I was like this is this is great this makes perfect sense so maybe you can answer something for me then um because what I don't get then is what how is it different than xamarin because I know xamarin you know it's sort of it sort of bridges that gap between, um, you know, the the what the platform does and 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 writing .dot NET code. So, how would this be different? Would you would the idea be and, and would this be attainable where you could literally take the app that you've already written and run it on Android? I think that the answer is yes, as long
1: as you already consider uh, like how universal apps work currently. Like, mm-hmm. like if you need to you could run the exact same xaml the exact same code behind i mean that's possible to do now or you could use that where you have your slightly different xaml for each um, right now universal apps work like that currently i you know i think the big thing from him is you know, like Xamarin. if like if you're using their version of xaml it's it's kind of funky because they're they're generifying everything, they're doing it slightly differently. It's not quite as powerful if you have you know the full versions. Now, I'm not getting in too deep because I haven't done a whole lot with Xamarin itself. I'm just going by off of what a lot of people have told me. but you know i I think this is would also bring the concept of universal app being a, a, a,
0: a to make it a more true statement, yeah, so, and i I'd, I'd love to be able to do that right? If I could, if I could sort of get the Android platform for free, I think that would be, that would be huge. Um, and then, I mean the, the interesting thing, let, let's pretend like windows phone could run Android apps for a second. Um, I, I don't even know if that's as good as what people think, right? Because there was what the Nokia X and it would run quote unquote Android apps. And also the Amazon fire phone can run quote unquote Android apps, but Android apps and uh, you know the the Google Play apps are two different things, right? So if you have an app in the Google Play Store, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to run on uh, a different phone. Like you know, if you if you get um, the Amazon Fire phone, that app isn't necessarily going to run in there. Correct. Correct. And and, yeah. and another thing too is um,
1: I've had discussions. This was by Rudy when we haven't mentioned that yet. Um, he's mm-hmm. he's the maker of uh, Windows Phone apps like Six Ten and. Uh, uh, Basically, a lot of the major stuff that isn't on Windows Phone, he'll create a third-party version that's really excellent.
0: Yeah. Most people consider them better than the official apps.
1: Most of the time, yes. But I've had conversations with him. um, I can't quite remember where I was going with this. Oh, oh, okay. Um, That, you know if if they did run android on windows you you would lose a lot of windows developers how many people would right. write windows apps it would only be you know the real passion of people the people who only really care about that and usually when you're like you said if you're running an android app on windows phone it's not going to be optimized for windows phone so you're going to get a lesser experience the the look and feel isn't going to be quite as native and you know to me that's just generally a a less than ideal idea
0: yeah yeah. And I think the the development experience already for, for uh, windows and windows phone is, is, is the best in many ways. And I think it's, it's only going to get better. Um, you know, cause I like, I like being able to to write code in.net and even, even Cordova, like I played around with uh, Cordova with visual studio, man, what a piece of cake. And that'll actually give you some of the, the cross, you know, give you the cross platform capabilities, but being able to use visual studio and the full power that comes along with that. Um, and, uh, and just in all the the tooling and resources that you get makes it for me. I I just uh, I don't know. I've done some iOS development. Um, I don't think I've done anything on on Android because uh, that that just that whole environment really scared me off. Just trying to get the emulator up and running. This was back in the Android early days, but I was I was turned off to that pretty quick. So yeah, if I can if I can write the stuff on uh, you know for Windows and have that work on Android, like I said, that's that's a that's that would be huge. So I, I love that idea.
1: Well, especially when you also remember that you know Microsoft does have its own Android emulator. I mean, yeah, it, it's not too far away from having all the pieces it needs to pull this off. Yeah, it's just
0: code. Yeah, just pump it <laughs> up. We can we can do that in a week, right? Yeah. Well, let's just do it now. Yeah, I'll I'll start. <laughs> <laughs> Throw something up on OneDrive. Okay, we ready to move on? Yep. So I got some questions for you, Carl. And actually, I was thinking about this. I was th- you know, trying to put to, to put together some questions to ask you. And what's interesting is I I have no idea what the answers to these are. I mean, I'm, <laughs> like, seriously, I, I, you know, a lot of your background, like I know bits and pieces, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I thought how often, you know, like the people that you work with, like, think of, think of somebody that you work with, Carl, the, the most at, at work, mm-hmm. like how? have you ever asked them like, you know, Hey, what, what, you know, tell me about your history. Like it, it usually doesn't come up, but you, like I said, usually it's bits and pieces. So I guess one thing that I wanted to know was how did you, how, how did you get initially interested in computers? Like, where did it all start? So
1: you know, I grew up at school, you know, thinking back all the way to kindergarten, we had like Apple twos. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, I'm probably one of the first people that can always remember having a computer in my classroom. You know, I I remember, you know, back then it was just nothing but gaming and whatever keyboarding they made us do. You Oregon know, Trail. That was exactly what I was going to bring up. That <laughs> Jeopardy, that Jeopardy game that was, yeah. There. Yeah. you know, all of those. So, you know. I always had a computer growing up at least in the school it actually wasn't till I was in middle school till we got uh, a 486 I remember getting it you know it was it was subsidi- subsidized through my stepdad's workplace so we got it and you know i I always wanted to get interested in programming at that time I always wanted to check it out but I, I never felt that I had what it took to just jump in um mm-hmm. and then our uh, when I was in ninth grade we had this intro to computers thing that, we still were on Apple II, you know, ease. And I'm like, oh, great. This is like, you know, 10, 15 years old at the point. But the thing is, they were, they uh, taught us some basic programming. And I do mean basic, not, you know, simple, but uh, low res image, you know, use a program to create a low res image. And I used just the techniques that they showed us to make a video. It was like a moon that rotated and had like a little cutscene <laughs> on it. And, uh, I totally impressed the teacher on that. And that's kind of when I knew that like, Hey, this is something special. I have, I have a talent and skill there, but it kind of took me until I got out of high school because we didn't really have, you know, enough stuff to foster that. And, uh, but, you know, once I did start going to school, I immediately started taking up side projects and, you know, was always, you know, into that from there. So I, I, I got that spark in high school kind of, Led me to where I needed to be, but it still mm-hmm. took like another ten years for me to actually get into it professionally.
0: Okay, that sounds real interesting to my experience too. Because yeah, in school it was the the Apple II, and actually at home we had uh, we had a Mac Plus, and those things. I mean, it's a it's crazy if you look up. I mean, those things were it was a couple grand at the time, right? And that was back I think in uh, like '85. We had a we had a Mac Plus in the in the house. And then later I had a two eighty six. And then, uh, it was a long time before I had a computer after that. And that was a, that was a Pentium. Um, but yeah, I, I even had summer school where I had a, I had a computer class and it was on Apple II. And I still remember the teacher, he was just kind of a goofy guy. And, you know, we, we'd, he'd have us type something in, he, we were writing a basic program and it was, it said, uh, uh, illegal instruction. He's like, Oh no. He's like, are the cops coming? <laughs> 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 He's just making all these, you know, jokes about it. Well, but. I- uh, yeah, go ahead.
1: And like, you know, in high school, there was that one class that was decent, but like, there was like an entire semester on like opening a file, saving a file, copying, pasting. I mean, yeah, I mean, that was like a semester of that. So, I mean, that's, and we were looking at the early nineties, that's what computer education in at least my high school
0: was. So yeah, left a lot to be desired, but. I don't know. I mean, it worked like it, it seemed at least maybe, maybe it's. Maybe it's uh what is that selection bias where I guess we're we're picking two people that it worked for and then we're kind of back tracing and say, <laughs> look, look, it worked. But um, I don't know, with with my kids in, in school, it seems like they're not learning anything close to what they're doing at home. And I, I don't think it's just because of the home they're in. I think uh um, you know, like any kid with a computer these days, it just seems like they're they're beyond what they're doing in school. The school is the one that's behind now. Um I think the school was Further ahead at the time, I mean, I there weren't many people that I knew that had a computer in their house as Mm -hmm. an example. So I I don't know. It seems like we're. It seems like it's worse than it was back then, from a school perspective.
1: Yeah, at least in our part, you know, it's it's hard on budgets for for local small uh, public schools to stay on top of technology costs. Yeah.
0: Okay. So Carl, I built a, I built a device. I didn't tell you about this, (laughs) but it it allows me to send uh, a single short message back um, to specific uh, points in history and the actually one point in history. So the point in history I can send you a message back to is right whenever you got started in the business. So basically in, in, you know, software development or just working with this technology. So what would you say to yourself now? What message would you like to send back?
1: You know, I assume you're talking about like, you know, what, what piece of sage advice that, you know, would help you the most.
0: And and for Uh, me, well, well, maybe if there's nothing that that helps you, maybe even say like, you know, I don't know, whatever you want, you can tell yourself a joke if you want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I think, you know, career advice
1: wise, I mean, is push yourself in, in, in the social networking areas, not, not like Twitter, Facebook stuff, but, you know, reaching out to people that you, you might not otherwise. Uh, to me you know the biggest advancements in my career is when I've been able to you know just make the right connections at the right times and it's always from people that I, I either don't expect or you know people want people want to help other people you know at least that's my experience and being able to put put myself on a limb to go out and talk to them has been the number one thing that's helped me and you know that's kind of why you know, when I go out and do speaking things, you know, I, I like talking to people. I like being that connection for other people as well. Cause I want everybody around me to succeed. So to mm-hmm. me, it's, I mean, you know, the tech stuff has to be there, but that can be learned. It's the hard part is, you know, getting those, those networking connections.
0: Yeah. So. No, that's, that's, that's such a good point. I mean, I had, uh, there was a, there was a guy that I went to school with, we, um, we started going to school together in uh, second grade and, uh, and I've known him throughout all of these years and he was the one that really, he, him and I, we, we did a lot of the computer stuff together. Um, we taught each other a lot. So I, yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely key that, that networking. And I think had, had he, had he not been around, had I not met him, like my life would have been completely different. Um, cause it was, you know, at, at like such critical times and having that, that, you know, technical person. Sort of injecting just the just the right ideas at the right times. So I have a book for you, Carl. Since that's your message back, <laughs> um, it's called The Innovators: How a Group of Hackers, Geniuses, and Geeks Created the Digital Revolution. So my boss actually got me this for Christmas. Um, he got me the 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 dead tree edition, and I've been uh, I've been reading through this. I'm actually I'm probably only about a fifth of the way through. It's it's a pretty big book. It's by Walter Isaacson, so that's the guy who wrote uh, the Steve Jobs book hmm and um this is a really neat book because it actually talks about the history of computer science and uh it, it talks about the it starts with like um around the ada lovelace time like 1837 and her vision for the computer and it goes through and it talks about uh people working together uh you know every step of the way to first develop computers and programming and algorithms and the the silicon and it you know that's all the further i am in the book so i'm sure it keeps going (laughs) um but i'm actually finding it uh extremely fascinating because i think it's i think it's really talking about what you're talking about so okay next question what was the coolest thing that you did in 2014 um wow i mean that
1: that's pretty tough
0: (laughs) i hate those (laughs) kinds of questions yeah
1: i I did (laughs) because in 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 a lot of ways some of the things i get happiest about technically are like the dumb little pieces of code that are that are you solved something clever or you were able to use a a pattern that you never thought of or um you, you found a new part of a framework that just made your life super awesome um I I just did that this week with a small piece of code. It's nothing super exciting, but I was able to take some random string that was in a database in JSON format and like three lines of code, no matter what it is, it'll put it on a web page. And it was, okay. it was using the expando object. I'm not okay. sure if you're familiar with that, but it's, it's a really, it's a really cool class that implements uh dynamic. So it's a right. dynamic object and it, it has a few extra methods on there to like. So it makes it work like JavaScript. kind of, and it was just awesome. And I'm not saying that's the coolest thing I did, but it's things like that. I always think are really cool. Um, you know, I can't point out any one thing I did, you know, at least that the audience would be interested in, but I mean, as a whole, I mean, this was the year I got my MVP and that's been just awesome. It's been an awesome ride for me so far. And I hope that I just continue on with it because I've been able to meet so many really cool people. I mean, it's kind of opened doors for me for speaking, which allows me to meet even more people. So I really enjoy getting out there, talking to people. And, uh, I I think that's been another really cool thing.
0: No, I think, uh, I think you've really changed a lot in, uh, in 2014 for the better. I think, uh, I think 2014 was your year and it'll be interesting to see what happens in uh, 2015. I think you really, uh, um, sort of reach critical mass as far as you know you, you're, you're in that feedback cycle that you talked about where, where you are getting into these other groups and you're getting that information but you did answer the the question incorrectly the correct answer was <laughs> the, the correct answer was co-creating the ms dev show ah uh, sorry sorry maybe sorry. next time zero points awarded <laughs> darn it i can't win the car anymore now can i <laughs> no no that puts you out of the running so um so i'm gonna have to keep the car um <laughs> okay no the actually the ms dev show that it, it was uh it's really cool looking at the growth you and i keep a we keep a spreadsheet that shows like where we wanted to be as far as um uh, number of downloads per or you know each month and the 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 bar of actual downloads is just blowing away what we what we were expecting and, so and, we d- and, we just love the growth and
1: and, and we kind of set goals that were stretch goals. You know, we were like, it's going to take us a bunch to hit these. So we'd like to thank yeah. every everybody who's had any help in spreading the word
0: for the show. I mean, it's yeah, it's taken know, off. Yeah, we appreciate I, it. I mean, more people download the show than read my blog, follow me on Twitter. Like, you can if you add all that up, I I think M, the MS Dev Show is actually like the most popular thing that I am doing. By far. And that was, yeah. And it's it, in six months. I mean, isn't that amazing? We started six months ago and that's the point it's to So that's, that's awesome. So yeah, I love all the listeners. Okay. So how are you going to make 2015 awesome, Carl? You better have uh, already <laughs> thought about this.
1: Well, uh, yeah. A- another thing, you know, uh, a lot of people don't know is I, I have four boys and, uh, mm-hmm. right away in January, we're going to bring a little girl into the equation. Mm-hmm. So that's going to start the year off. Congratulations. With Yep. Yeah. And, and I'm hoping to use some of the downtime that I have because I'm taking a significant amount of time off of work. You know, I, I I plan on updating all of my apps and learning as much as I can from, you know, you know, you know, doing stuff. You know, I'm a hands-on mm-hmm. kind of person. I like, I, I learn from doing. And uh, so right out of the gate, you know, I have a set, a bunch of time set aside for myself to just get in there, do stuff and learn. So, which in turn give me material to blog and talk about and just kind of
0: keep the ball that I started with 2014 going at the pace that it is. That's awesome. That's all. That's a, that's an awesome answer. You, you uh, you, if you hadn't screwed up the last question, you'd be winning the car. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> no, no, I, I, totally agree with that. In fact, I, there were a couple of times that I was, I was on a bit of a roll writing code where, you know, it's like, I have this idea in my head and I got to get it out. And, uh, I had, I had taken, us, uh, you know, sort of a pseudo break from coding for, you know, let's say two years. And now, you know, to, to get back into it, I, I just, I, I'm able to so quickly now create a GitHub repo, um, get every, you know, get my code in there, put a README in, you know, like so many projects out there have no README, throw that code in there, you know, get it out there so they can hopefully be useful to somebody else. I can do that with almost no overhead now. And I've just keep banging out these projects and it makes it so it just keeps getting the the friction is just gone from actually creating something. So, Oh, I have this problem. No problem. There's nothing standing in my way. I could just do it as quick as possible. And I think you've talked about that whenever it comes to like windows phone apps, like just, just keep writing code, keep writing apps. And eventually it will just, they will come so easy.
1: Yeah. And and, you know, not even doing, you know, with windows apps, just learn how to make a simple console and, because that's for me the easiest way to just test out some new code i mean mm-hmm. all you got to do is hit f5 and just something pops up i mean it doesn't have to be much but you know if you yeah. can just get in there and exercise those skills just a little bit at a time you know it'll, it'll just keep coming
0: yeah that's a lot of my github repos are just console apps and then i even have some in there i um, trying to think like the kindle rss one that i did i'm just kind of looking through the list here
1: actually i um, just wrote a console app or almost done with it uh, you know, I, I had a problem. I I needed to program programmatically enumerate all the installed programs on a computer. Well, okay, I was able to whip up a pretty good solution in you know twenty thirty minutes. So yeah. is it on GitHub?
0: It will be. I have to add okay. one more tweak because it to doesn't it. exist until it's on GitHub. Yep, <laughs> it, it'll be there. Not now. I have the challenge of finishing it by next episode. Okay. Yep. Exactly. The, I mean, the other nice thing about having it on GitHub, I just, just love the fact that that even if I'm on uh, somebody else's computer or, or sometimes i'll be like in a hack fest or something like that somebody will say hey you know i know you did this thing and solved this problem how do you do that and i'll just i'll just point them at the i'll just send them a link to the github repo and they can see exactly how it's done and it's you know i always put out there like actual working code so they can see it and you know see it being used and they can look through the code hey. i just think uh, it's a great habit to get into
1: and in addition you you don't lose your code because it's always there as long yep. as you have an internet connection, you always have access to your code. That's what I love about putting your code out there. Even yep. if it's not GitHub, if it's Bitbucket or Kiln or any of the other you know dozens of options of places you have to put code for free, um, yeah. just get it out there on the internet in some way, shape, or form. Don't be afraid to put it publicly.
0: Yeah, I have 10 years worth of temp projects that I'd love to go back and look at, but you know, I just put them in a temp folder and... When I paved my computer, I just got rid of them because they were just temporary projects, just to prove out a single thing. Man, I wish I had all those. That'd be that'd be awesome to go back and. Sometimes I I forget how I did something, you know, five years ago, and I just want to go back and look, and I can't do that. Okay, you want to get move on to the app of the week? Sure. So okay, I have the first app of the week. You
1: have a bunch, but I have two. Yep. But mine is Trivia Crack, and this was some friends of mine, uh, a buddy of mine from high school and his wife, they are both on Android, and they play this Facebook game called Trivia Crack, and it's just a bunch of trivia questions where you're kind of competition-style answering them with with your friends, and uh, it's kind of like Crack, just as it says. It's You, you just keep on going, and it, it's been a fun game to play. I, I love trivia, and it, it's well done. You know, it's it's on all the available platforms. So
0: cool. Yeah. I played, uh, I played a trivia game one time with some friends. I, oh, this was really bad. They, uh, they bought some new trivia game and we opened it up and we were going to be playing it right away. And I just sat there and I flipped through the cards. I don't know if I ever told you this. I was looking through like at the questions and answers. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because like, I don't know, it just sort of refreshes your memory memory. Like imagine being able to go on to jeopardy and getting the li- a list of the questions they're going to ask you in the show. Like you wouldn't, you obviously couldn't memorize, you know, a hundred questions, but you know, you'd probably remember it would sort of refresh your memory. I did that and I just dominated that game. And then I felt bad about it. (laughs) (laughs) I even got some that I shouldn't know. And I mean, they were like, what is the most common women's shampoo? And I was like, oh, it's Pantene or whatever the heck. I don't even know what it was anymore, but they're like, how do you know that? But anyway, uh, let's see here. So I have two different apps of the week. So the first one is Glimpse. So this one's sort of yours. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, take co-credit for this one. So it's called Glimpse, G L Y M P S E, and basically, what I was trying to do. Uh, my parents were coming out from Pennsylvania, and that's about a ten-hour trip to my place. And she's like, "How can I just make it so you know where I'm at?" So I sent. I, I said, "I have no idea, but I will send Carl a message." So I sent you a message. Said, "What do I use?" <laughs> and eventually, you got back to me and said, "Try this app." Um, and basically, I really like this because it works the way that it should work. What I can do even so let's pretend like you didn't have glimpse carl what i can do is i can actually go into glimpse on my phone i you don't even need an account you need nothing i can say send one and i pick the amount of time so i can say four hours it will send you a link and basically that link is a link just for you that for the next four hours will have my location on it and it will also tell you how far you know how long it's going to take for them to get to you what their current speed is, which is a little interesting, but whatever. Um, and then you can also sort of favorite these things so you can make it real easy to send these out later. Um, so if we're, we're meeting up somewhere, I can just easily, like with one tap, send you um, a link to uh, a, a glimpse that will let you see where I'm at and when I'm going to get there.
1: So it, is this something you s- you send as this is where I am? Uh, and yeah. I want you to come to me or this is where I am and I need to get to you.
0: Well, it it's basically for saying where you're at right now, mm-hmm. the person who receives it can see how long it will take you to get to them. Okay. So yeah. So it's like, if I was coming over to your house and you wanted to know like exactly when I was going to get there, I could send you a glimpse and you and could watch I, me move on and of be
1: like, I'm like, Oh, you're 12 minutes away. I better. Okay.
0: See, yeah, if you go to, if you go to glimpse.com, it actually shows what these things look like. I've actually never used one in a browser, but it shows like live ticking down, you know, 17 minutes and 52 seconds is when this person will arrive. And they're currently going 47 miles per hour.
1: That's pretty cool. But the situation I'm thinking of right now is, um, yeah, two people want to
0: meet at the same place. Well, uh,
1: we're at, at at our local users group. Uh, a lot of times we'll meet at a place called the bar. Well, the problem Mm -hmm. is there's what three of them in the local town called The the bar. Yeah, And you have to remember oh, which one it is because last time uh, there was several people who went to the wrong place and they didn't yeah. meet up for the after minute drinks for like a half hour extra, you know? So, you know, if there was a way to say everybody meet here, psh, that would be cool too.
0: Yeah. And it might do that. I, I, I mean, I, I needed it for a singular use. Mm-hmm. What it would have been good for is you could have looked, um, had everybody, you know, sent you their glimpse, you could have looked up each person and saw Hey, they're all at the wrong place and they're not moving. You know, zero mile per <laughs> hour speed. <laughs> so it, it sort of would have worked for that, anyway. So it served its purpose. Yep. Um, the next one is Stowcard. So this one actually sort of went viral in my family. <laughs> Funny enough, so my mom actually told me about this app because uh, we were at uh, we were at Costco. And I pulled out the card and I, you know, she's like, oh, you know, you plebe, you know, I have it on my phone. So she pulled out her Windows phone and just like waved that at the person as she walked in. And then whenever we checked out, she, they just uh, scanned the barcode on the phone. So this is just a real simple app. I don't even, I don't think it has ads, but somehow, somehow they monetize it through ads and I, I've never seen anything on there. But anyway, you you go through and you scan in all your loyalty rewards, like your your Best Buy card. Uh, you know, I have like Walgreens in there and Steins and things like that. You basically, you know, have the, you, you have the phone camera, look at the barcode, it scans it in and then creates a digital version of that, uh, of that loyalty card that the, the re- the retailer can scan whenever you go in. Uh, yeah. So I thought that was really cool. Cause that, that removed like five cards from my wallet.
1: Yeah. And I think it's awesome. Anytime you can remove cards from your wallet. I love the yep. thin wallet concepts. But I just looked on their facts and it says that they finance themselves through the offers of loyalty card providers. So there's got to be some mechanism for them to push some sort of offer to you.
0: Yeah, I just I haven't seen it yet. And then the other thing I did was um, my wife has a stack of loyalty cards that I didn't even know she had. And I went through and I just scanned all those in. So now when I'm at one of those places, we can, uh, you know, sort of stack the offers there. Uh, Normally, I wouldn't be using those and then vice versa, too. She knows about cards that I have. Uh, that she she might not have known about. So I just thought that was a really cool app. Okay. Are you ready for the game, Carl? Yes, I am. And I'm going to play this week, too, but you get to go first. So pick a number between one and four. Four. Oh, oh, oh. Ooh. Would you rather get a paper cut on your tongue or have a booger in your nose that you can't quite reach all day?
1: Uh, I'm not for paper cuts, especially on my tongue, so I'm going to have to go for the booger.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, that would be, I think it would like, it would probably uh, heal up pretty quick. But yeah, you'd have to sit there and taste blood for a while. So let's see. I haven't looked at the other one. So I'm going to pick, I'll pick one. Okay, what do we got here? Instead of would you rather, would I rather have to sew all of your own clothes or grow all of my own food? Uh, I'd rather have to sew my clothes (laughs) because that would be way less work. If I had to grow all my own food, that would be... That'd be insane. I mean, three meals a day or at least two, (laughs) right? For a whole year. Uh, Yeah, that'd be insane. I'll pick up sewing. No problem. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Okay, so what do we got next? There's no Azure pick of the week. Uh, Is there anything else you want to go do, Carl?
1: No, I mean, I I think this is a good wrap up for the end of the year. Um, You know, it's nice to be able to push something every week pretty much since we started. So,
0: you know, looking forward to next year and what that brings for us in the show. Okay, I do have one more topic. Uh-oh. Okay, here it is. And you can tell me you can tell me why this won't work and I'll tell you why it will work. Finally finally we can we can tackle this. I've been talking about this on so many episodes. Gold asteroid mining. Here here's how it works. <laughs> and and I'd like everybody to send in an email feedback at msdevshow.com and you can you can you can vote for whether or not you think this will work. And you know, it'll work. So, step 1. Well, let's skip step 1. Skip one. That that's easy. I just got to get some money. Step two. <laughs> Step two. So so, Carl, I'm going to have you answer some questions here, and I think this this will help. Uh, so if if we go out, because because he, here's the premise: they've said that there are asteroids that are made of like solid gold, right? Like more gold than the, that's on all of Earth. But it's expensive to go get it, right? You got to go and and actually mining it is really difficult, and then you got to figure out how to bring it back and blah blah blah. So. Let's pretend like we did that. What would what would happen to that gold when it comes back on earth?
1: Well, it depends upon if you're using it to like finance a currency or if you're using it as parts. So, I mean, every electronic that we have has gold in
0: it. So, sure, I mean, sure. you
1: got to you got to melt it and smelt it and process it and and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, but the fact is, look at uh, Fort Knox, right? There's a ton of gold just sitting there, right?
1: So, you you're you're you're, uh, you're making the argument I'm um, at least anticipating an argument of using it like for a financial basis.
0: Sure. Sure. So it, it,
1: if, if you're going to go down that route, I can mm-hmm. see like skipping a bunch of steps, but right. if, if you're talking about needing these as parts for, you know, everything that actually, powers our, our actually, daily lives,
0: I can handle that too. Okay. Right. So let's, so let's here's, hear what you got. So here's what we're going to do. Instead of going out there and trying to bring all this gold back. All we do is we we go out and we claim it somehow. So we stick a flag on it, or or we just build the 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 world's crappiest safe around it. Yeah, okay. Okay? (laughs) So we're we're securing it, but it's already an asteroid. Like it's pretty. It it, it's a difficult bank heist to go out and have somebody else go and steal our gold. And why would they when there's another asteroid right next to it? So we just have to secure it in some way and lay claim to it. When we do that, let's say it's. uh, Let's say it's a, a million dollars worth just to keep a, a real nice number, which it's it's going to be way. Well, let's pretend like it's a trillion. That's probably more realistic. It's a trillion dollars worth of gold. Now, nah, that might be too high. Whatever. <laughs> what what we do, however much gold it is, we take the corresponding amount out of Fort Knox. I,
1: uh,
0: because I would argue that the asteroid is more secure than Fort Knox.
1: So I say that your idea is stupid. <laughs> and, and 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 here's why one, 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 most most currencies are off of the gold standard anyways and yeah. we're just kind of holding that money you know for for other reasons and it's event- not doing us any good but no it's, no, just, no, no, it's no. a waste so yes so my point is eventually we're going to use that you know it's going to be more valuable to use the gold in fort knox as gold as you know a resource and when we deplete that we're still going to need the gold from the asteroid as you say. So okay, then ha- well, maybe, having a having a okay. bank having a bank around it
0: and not using it or not pulling it in
1: it isn't going to solve the problem. No,
0: nah, I think that I think that's totally speculative. Let's let's look at the facts right now. Um you know, if, can- if there's a financial reason for us to, you know, if we need the resources bad enough, that that gold will get used as, you know, a resource. Sure. It seems it seems absolutely crazy to me. And, and there have been talks about this. Seems crazy to me to send, let's say, it's probably not a crew, but it's going to be, let's say, a machine. It's, it seems crazy to send a machine to the asteroid to get the gold and to bring it back all the whole time. There's gold sitting in Fort Knox, like already in bricks. It's all nice. And it still sits there collecting dust. In fact, it costs money because there has to be all these guards and blah, 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 blah. I, I mean, so, to, to me, like I said, you know, I think that we're going to use it once we actually
1: truly need it, and mm-hmm. if that's the case, then you know, it's going to be, it's going to take a lot to finance going out and actually finding one of those asteroids that are made out of enough gold to get out, if they actually exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a that's all speculation at this point. So, I mean, finding that, doing that at that point when we need to do it, we'll, we'll solve that problem. I, I, I don't, okay. I, I don't think that's there is one of those. I don't think it's been proven high enough that there's a a solid gold asteroid <laughs> within yeah, it reach. Just,
0: it just seems so wasteful to me to have all this gold, like just sitting there in, in Fort Knox, like not being used. And then it's just, it additionally seems crazy that it's actually, there are actually thoughts about going out and getting the harder to find gold. You know, like you know there's the, there's more value of it sitting in a vault than sitting in the ground or you know, sitting in space. To, to a point, I think a lot of those are just more uh, attention
1: grabbers. If you say mm-hmm. you're going to do that, you're going to get some attention so yeah. then then you can get the funding for what you, your real goals are. But like yeah. I said, you know I, I really believe in you know, in the market forces, you know, at least when it comes to some of those big level things, you know, if we know that, you know, let's just say Fort Knox has a ridiculous amount of gold in there that we truly need
0: for something else, you know, we're going to eventually use that for something else. Yeah, I mean that would drive the cost up and then yeah, there would that, that would be interesting I, because it would there would, um, be, there would be a high enough be interesting demand. To see, yeah, it would be interesting to see what what would lead up to that because yeah, it would be worth selling, but people when as the cost of gold goes up, like people hold on to it because it's gaining value. Uh so it'd be interesting to see what would happen in in that situation. And um yeah, so step 1 is I, I got to get, I don't know. I got to get like $100 billion from Bill Gates to, uh, well, actually he doesn't, well, however much he has, I pretty much need to borrow all that so that I can first lay claim to the gold asteroid and then uh, that will set my whole plan in motion. I think it's going to be easy once I get that money and then I can pay him back like pretty much immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it's a good investment for him. I'll give him 20% back on his investment. He can, you can invest it in what a year later, I'll give him a 20% return. So everybody wins. And we have more gold to build things with and everybody's happy and I'm rich because I just get a little cut of that. Sound like a plan? Well, you make it happen. <laughs> Carl, Carl's looking at us. He's like, he's like, you are the biggest idiot. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I should have did this in 2014 instead of 2015. I've already destroyed this year. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, we, Carl.
1: We, we've had a lot of these conversations
0: though. So <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway, where can people find you, Carl? I can be found at uh, WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay, so everybody send Carl a tweet saying this will totally work and they're <laughs> on my side. And you can find me at com or Twitter.com slash YTechie.
1: And everybody can send Jason a tweet saying that he's <laughs> insane. <laughs> la,
0: la, 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 la. <laughs> Okay. Uh, look forward to working with you in 2015, Carl. Yeah, likewise. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. Okay, there we go. Oh, that was a fun way to end it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, was re- I knew, I knew that gets
1: get you riled up. I, I, I was just really trying not to bring up the antimatter conversation because you kind of have oh, a...
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. my uh my dad and I, we did the whole gold mining. We we talked about that for like an hour and a half. It was pretty funny. Yeah. Cause what did he say? Cause he was talking about the um oh, what was he talking about? It was okay, so if I if I keep it in a vault, because I was actually gonna talk about, okay, so that, that gold is in the vault, but he said, What if somebody wants to so even if you take Fort Knox out of the equation, he said, What if somebody wants some of that gold? I said, Well, I'd have all the money from selling the gold, right? So so what I would end up doing is I would say, "Hey, you want to buy a, a bar of gold? I will sell it to you cheaper than the market right now." So I will sell it to you let's say $100 for the bar, and I will have $100, and I will say, "By the way, your bar is in that asteroid." Okay?
1: So, yeah, like I said, in I mean, the, if you're doing it purely for financial, that that entirely works. You know, yeah. at least in theory, at least as a thought process. Yeah. Yeah. But but one, you know, the problem where it fails is when you actually need that on hand.
0: Well, that's but but the point that I made, yeah. do you think banks don't have your money?
1: No, no. Yeah. They, they yeah. don't have your money. And in fact, yeah, they're not even. That's why not, it works. They're that's not even I based totally. on gold. They're not even based I, on gold. Well,
0: I know. I know. But but the thing is, if, if a bank on paper has say that if they say they have a million dollars.
1: They only have to have like 5%. I mean, it's ridiculously yeah, yeah, yeah. low. It's not. Yeah.
0: Not even. I think it's like probably like uh, less than 1%, <laughs> right? So he was just like, well, what if somebody comes in and they want their gold? No problem. I do the same thing the bank does. Here you go. Here's your cash. You know, I walk into the vault and I get it because it's, I have all these other people who have this fictional money back there and I have fictional gold. It's all the same thing. So I don't know. I'll just be laughing at you when (laughs) I'm sitting on my trillion dollars and I'm able to uh, enslave humanity.